Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another week of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina. Joining me from a remote location somewhere in the state of New Hampshire, former football coach in the Granite State, Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing this uh, this week? Evening, Joe. Doing pretty good. As always, you can send us uh, questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com or on Twitter at nhhsports. Uh, you can listen to the football show every Tuesday morning at nh-highschoolsports.com. And uh, you know what? Let's uh, we got a lot to talk about this week, so let's just uh, let's just jump right into it. Um, you know, I, I think last week we may have talked a little bit about wondering what uh, the playoffs, um, what the format might end up looking like, because you know at the beginning of the the uh, I guess the announcements were coming out for the fall season. We were hearing about. Um, you know, open tournaments and this and that, and it sounds a little bit like there uh, there might actually be um, coming close to a decision. Hopefully, you know, since we're we are getting a little bit closer to that. Um, so it's, uh, I mean, before, just the the concept of the open tournament, Mike. What what do you? What are your just kind of thoughts? Like, if it, you know, as a as a uh, if you were still coaching, what would you kind of? How would you kind of maybe prepare for that? I mean, is there a way to prepare for it going through, you know, this kind of shortened season. You know, I don't know that you would approach it much differently. It's, I mean, it's certainly different from a, a psychological standpoint, I think for, for the teams, because, um, you know, it's kind of like you say the, you know, the old cliche is the playoffs are like a, are like a second season. It's like a whole new season, right. And everybody's O and O. I mean, it's, it, that's really true in an open tournament environment where, you have your 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 shortened season to to gain seeding, but then everybody has a chance. And I think psychologically, you know, even if you've had a tough season or a tougher season, right? You haven't gone four and one or five and zero, oh, but you know that you've got a chance. And I think that's very different, you, you, you know, from you know starting out zero oh and three, and you're automatically sort of starting to guard against. Uh, you know, the, the, the culture and the, and the team starting to feel like, ah, geez, you know, we, we might just have to play out the season. You know, we don't, we don't have a chance for a playoff game. We don't have a chance to advance. Um, everybody's got a chance. And I think that can be very dangerous, especially if you're one of the, uh, the teams with the better records, right? Because if one of these teams that struggled a little bit at the beginning of the season, but they're starting to catch their stride now, they feel like they've got a chance and they smell some blood in the water in that, in that tournament. Uh, you know, they can surge. We, we've seen how that works in years past, you know, where a team sort of catches fire at the right time. And uh, so I think that's the number one thing that you've got to be concerned about. You know, one, if you're if you're a team that that is sort of uh, in the top tier, you've got to be worried about are one of these teams that may have struggled in their quote, regular season going to catch fire at just the right time and, and come up and do some damage. And and uh, if you're a coach of a team that that did struggle a little bit in the, in the regular season. It's a great opportunity for all the reasons I mentioned. So I, I think it's, um, it's very different <laughs> and, and I'm actually really excited to see how it plays out for those reasons. Yeah. Uh, me as well. Um, and you know, and one thing I found interesting too, is talking to coaches that, um, have lost games this year. Uh, I, I almost feel like that that's something that's in the back of their mind is, is, you know, yeah, you know, like you were saying, you, you get into a tough spot. You, you know, zero and three is pretty much. Um, I mean, just looking at the history of of teams that have made the playoffs in this this um, you know three and now four division structure, 
Uh, 0-3 is pretty much it. Like, if you, you get to 0-3, I think there's been maybe, like, four teams that have made the playoffs uh, after an 0-3 start in this, this format. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, obviously this year that's going to be different. Um, you know, but, but coaches, I, a lot of them, I, I feel like, are taking that into account. Like, you know, hearing them talk after losses sometimes, it's kind of like, I, I'm wondering, it's like, man, are we... What are we, did this game count? Like, are we just scrimmaging here? I mean, I guess in some ways it is. It is kind of just like a scrimmage, um, you know, that's a little bit more official, um, you know. So that that I found kind of interesting. And I think I think coaches are maybe kind of taking that, um, you know, feel to it. I mean, that obviously you want to win, but you know, the uh, the more important part is getting better and improving, so that when this little um, you know four and five game stretch is uh, is done, you're in the best position. I, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, um, I, uh, you know, should probably before we we get into this too far, I should probably start out by saying that that nothing that we know of is official yet. I have not been told. You know, this is what's happening. No one has sent out anything saying this is how it's going to go. This is just what we've been kind of hearing from talking to coaches and administrators, and you know, seeing what some other people have been been writing about. Um, but what it looks like is for Division One. Uh, they are going to um, put standing, you know, the standings based on conferences. So you got your east, your west, north, and south. Uh, those five teams will be put together. I'm not sure how, if it's going to be ranked by win-loss rating. I got to imagine it's going to be rating because they're not, it doesn't look like they're counting out-of-division games um, towards the standings. So I got to imagine that rating is going to be tied in there somehow. You know, and then going into the playoffs, they're, they're going to take that... Um, it would have been would have been the fifth week of the regular season. The um, two teams at the bottom of the standings, four and five, are going to play each other. Uh, you know, as kind of like a play-in game. So you got four games there, while everyone else finishes out their fifth week of the season. And then whichever team wins that game will go in and join the other three teams in kind of what's left of the uh, the playoff field. And uh, it, it it looks like I'm assuming you then line up there. You know, those t- four teams play. Um, the winners of those games then play, and then you kind of probably would reseed for the semifinals. I would, I would think. I mean, that's what I'm assuming. Again, nothing is is set in stone. Yeah, it, it's like you said. We're 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 making some uh, we're, we're making some suppositions here based on incomplete information. But uh, but yeah, it it's um, it's like you mentioned before we get on the call. It, there's there's some goodness to it. Uh, I mean, it is unusual compared to how we've uh we've seen the NHIAA operate with football in the last few years but it, you would you made a really good point it, it sort of harkens back to um when they first went to this this format or a similar format back in 2013 where they had the different um conferences and uh sort of went with like a conference champion model right and that was who advanced on um you know, into the, into the state level tournament. So, um, you know, I always thought that was a, a problematic model. I, I, I didn't dislike it, but I, I wasn't a huge fan of it either. Um, as a coach, I, I, but in this particular environment, it, it's probably, you know, you can understand why they would go to something like that. And, and, um, I do think that there's some interesting stuff there for the coaches and for the fans. Yeah, I definitely, um, the, the, that, previous format you know with having the the top two teams from each conference be the only ones making it and then playing each other i mean i like the idea of it i like the idea of having conference championships and all that 
Uh, but you're right; it did it, it did cost. Um, there there were definitely problems to that setup um, that they fixed. Um, but I mean, this is this is uh, include you know is all inclusive, so it it um, will you know there won't be any problems with that. And I'm I'm really interested to see how that is going to shape up. Uh, of course, the a similar kind of idea is is I guess being put together f for Division Two. Um, with teams being put into groupings or, or pods or um, obviously with 18 teams it makes it a little bit different I think it, it would you then have two with five and two with four um, but you know it's it's um, however this shapes out if, if this is how they end up going uh, for the playoffs I, I think it, it has the opportunity to be really interesting and and uh, maybe most importantly for for us uh, it gives us something interesting to talk about uh, yeah, certainly. You know, and uh, I mean, I, I I think Division Two will be interesting to to that point because you know D one is already set up that way. You know, they've got North, South, East, West, um, and so you know now you're kind of looking at you know an after the fact potential, right? After the fact designing of these uh, these four notional pods or conferences or whatever you want to call them for, for playoff advancement in D2, you know, you could imagine there'll be a little bit of controversy around that, right? If, uh, you know, if all of a sudden, you know, um, team, you know, a team that expected to be in one grouping ends up in a different grouping and it, and it hurts their seeding as a result, right? Maybe I, I end up being a play-in team, in, in this pod where I might not have been in the pod that I expected to land in for whatever reason, right. Whether it was geography or what have you, you know, I think, I think it invites a lot of debate that they're, that, that they're having to do it sort of after the fact, you know, after the season has begun, yeah. you know, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, why did that team go in that grouping and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, yeah, I think, um, it's definitely interesting that that it's kind of working out the way that it that it is in that sense, um, you know. And and I I totally understand why it's happen, you know, why it would work out that way. Just because, you know, w w we're all kind of playing this by ear. I I, I would um, I'd say, um, you know, it'll make it interesting too for for the rest of the sports for the rest of the year. Like how you know how much of this gets um, you know passed on to the winter and then to the spring too. Um, but that's that's a conversation for another day. Uh, yeah, no, you're right though. Football gets to be kind of the great experiment, the, the guinea pig in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. you know, or do they look at more what they did with with the other sports? Um, I know there's, you know, I I saw last week that they updated the playoff uh, dates and rounds for non-football sports, and I've, I've been hearing too that there is a, a they're considering doing the pod or, or grouping setup um, in other sports as well. So that that could be interesting. Yeah. Um, but all right, let's. Uh, we did have games played last week, um, week three of the regular season. Some interesting results out there. So let's um, let's let's jump into those. Um, probably the the biggest, um, you know, biggest one of the week. Uh, you had Bedford going out to Londonderry and ending Londonderry's fourteen game win streak, uh, dating back to the start of last season. Um, you know, Bedford comes away with a twenty six to seven win in a game that. Um, you know, it really looked like Londonderry after after going undefeated last year. Um, you know, being on you know they were a team that yeah, opening they, to beat Pinkerton. Yeah, you know they opened. Uh, yeah, you're thinking right Seattle. on track, right? The defense showed up in a huge way last week. I think um, 
And, and you were you at that game? I was at that game, yeah. And they, they looked like, Londonderry looked like it made a season's worth of mistakes in the first half of football uh, in that game. They turned the ball over a lot. There was some miscommunication on a couple of plays that led to some, you know, one of them was a, on a punt where a, a ball hit someone's leg and, or the snap hit someone's leg. Bedford ended up taking over, you know, deep in Londonderry's end. Uh, lots of penalties. They had 10 penalties for the game, uh, five total turnovers. They turned the ball over on downs in the second half a couple times deep in Bedford's end. Um, you know, and and I, I guess it, coming away with a 20 to, 26 to 7 loss, I mean, in a sense, uh, was almost a bit of a, a, a moral victory, I got to think, for Londonderry, just because it could have been a whole lot worse than that. Yeah, you, do, you certainly don't want to take anything away from Bedford because it's a huge win for them, and uh, and they should be they should be happy. But um, like you said, the flip side of it is it sounded like Londonderry was not playing their best football either. And, and you know, again, great on Bedford for being able to capitalize on that, right? Because uh, you know, that's the other end of it. You can you can be the recipient of a lot of gifts from another team, but if you don't know what to do with those gifts and how to capitalize on them, uh, you're in trouble. But you know, I think you had I think you had mentioned that statistically, if you had just looked at the statistics and not the the turnovers and and some of the uh, the mistakes that show up, you would have thought that it, that Londonderry had dominated a little bit more in in terms of uh, you know the Bed- Bedford couldn't get their running game going. They were able to score a few times uh, with turnovers that took place uh, down in the red area, but um, but uh, but you had mentioned Londonderry aside from mistakes. I think anyway, what you were trying to say, tell me was that aside from the mistakes, it's not like they played horrifically, uh, you know, in terms of their abilities, their capability, right? Yeah. It was errors. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, yeah. Londonderry actually outgained Ben Bedford item two thirty three to two eleven. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I mean, Bedford, yeah, they mightily struggled to, to run the ball in the first half. I had them, uh, 11 carries for 10 yards, uh, in the first half. Some of that yeah. came on, um, you know, there was, a, I believe, a sack and a fumble um, for Bedford that kind of set them back. They also had a, um, a, se- a series where, you know, they got down to Londonderry's one, and it took them three tries to punch it in. So those are a couple of runs for, for no, no yards there. Um, but I will say that um, I was very impressed with, uh, with Bedford quarterback uh, Joseph Michael. I mean, he looks – he's a, a junior, uh, second year as a starter for them, um, you know, and, and – he looks like he's the real deal. Like he was spreading the ball around, making good decisions, uh, getting rid of the ball quick, which was big against, um, you know, Londonderry's um, defense. I, you know, they were getting after him pretty good at times. You know, if he wasn't able to get rid of the ball right away, uh, you know, and, and, and that's definitely Londonderry's strength at this point is that defensive front. Um, you know, he looked really good, and uh, he finished uh, items 17 to 29 for 149 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, is, uh, pretty yeah, it's a, it's a statement win for Bedford, no question. Absolutely. I mean, you might have had some questions about Bedford. Uh, you know, they lost to Gosstown in the opening week, I think. Um, it wasn't last week, right? I, I should have that in front two of me, but ago, I don't. Yeah, two weeks ago. Or for, yeah, week and, and so, you know, it's rare to see a Bedford program start 0-1. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of unfair, right? But when you're one of those elite programs, you start 0-1, everybody's like, oh, yeah, well, maybe they're down this year. Um, <laughs> but but this is that's a huge win for them. And, and oh, by the way, you look at Gosstown, and not to transition too quick, but, I mean, Gosstown's a very convincing 
three and zero at this point. So you know, you you look at that as a a loss to a quality team, um, and maybe Bedford's been a little bit of a sleeper this season in terms of uh, you know people's early uh, predictions and and uh, thoughts about how they might do. Certainly was an eye opener, I guess is what I'm yeah, trying to say. Yeah, and they they um, you know you mentioned Goffstown. Goffstown had a thirty five nothing win over Concord last weekend. Concord now gets to come down to Bedford, um, play that game uh, in Bedford Friday night. You know, it's Concord struggling this year, so it's you know not out of the question that Bedford would be three and one after uh, this weekend. You know, if if everything goes right for them, uh, which would be again would be big because you kind of you know they they would they lost that um, head to head matchup with Goffstown, but you definitely don't want to you know fall too far behind and. And then they finish yeah. up the year with um, that last week of the season with Pinkerton, uh, Bedford does. You know, so that's, um, you know, that's a, a definitely, I mean, any year that's a tough game. But but with Pinkerton playing the way they have the last couple of weeks, um, you know, certainly a, a, a team that I wouldn't want to see late, you know, later on in the year like this. Um, you know, they had a big win this past weekend, too, playing a Saturday afternoon game uh, against Wyndham. Uh, and Pinkerton rolled to a, a 34 nothing win in that one. Uh, just really impressive job by them and their their running game and um, you know looking like they're in midseason form. Yeah, it sounded like they really kind of exploded in the second half. They had a uh, you know they, they they it was a it was a tighter contested first half, um, but maybe some Pickerton mistakes kind of slowed them down a little bit. But it sounded like they really kind of exploded and uh, had things figured out coming out of halftime. You know, they had um, they had uh, what was the what was the kid's name? Um, Jacob Albert. Yeah, thank you. Albert had you know over a hundred yards rushing, um, and he's only a sophomore, I think. Isn't that right? A sophomore, and he's got to be one of the fastest kids on the field. Um, you know, a lot of his runs were for first downs, picking up you know seven, eight, nine, ten yards a carry at times um yeah he looks like you know I, i've seen them the last two weeks now and he he looks like he's going to be a really good uh really good running back for them for a couple of years um but yeah his um he had a couple touchdown runs in that second half and um you know they scored two touchdowns in less than a minute there after getting a, uh scoring on the opening drive of the second half getting a turnover and then scoring right away off of it so i mean they really stole momentum uh going into that third quarter yeah yeah, I mean he had he had uh like 158 yards for the game and 100 of those came in the second half. Um you know, including a a 41 yarder. So I mean, that's that's a heck of a performance. I I think that yardage total was that that was more yardage than he had had in the previous two games combined. So that was kind of a nice coming out for the young sophomore running back there. Uh you know, and they I mean it wasn't, you know, it's not just him. They have a, a you know, a whole bunch of guys that can carry the ball for them. Got, uh, you know, Evan Wilson, of course, is the, the big fullback that was uh, that's back from last year. Uh, he had played a big role in their offense a year ago. Uh, David Clark's another one that, um, you know, maybe not quite as fast as Albert, but he's certainly a, a shifty back who can get out uh, outside and run with the ball. And then their quarterback, uh, Nathan Campos, is, uh, you know, he's a junior. Um, looks like he's got, you know, like it's just natural for him back there running that that um that position and you know whether it's throwing the ball looks like he can throw the ball a little bit which you don't you don't see a ton in Pinkerton's offense but if they need him to it looks like he can do it and uh you know and he he's got some speed of his own 
I mean, just how I mean, how tough is that when you you know that that offense is is you know it it's kind of old school, but it is so tough to I feel like to defend because of the you know kind of misdirection and then having four different guys that can run the ball for you. I mean, it's I mean yeah. it's it almost impossible to stop. Yeah, that the the, the wing T is a good offense, especially if you have talented running backs, right? Uh, because you can, it's exactly that, right? So you see that, that Pinkerton runs that type of offense. Um, Hillsborough Deering, Hopkinton runs that. You, you see Milford running uh, a version of that at times, right? So there's, it's not as prolific maybe as the, the sort of spread teams that get in the shotgun and stuff. That's, that's really what you see these days. But, you know, back in like the nineties and early two thousands, the wing T was like what the spread is now. It was, Everybody was running it. It was for those same reasons. It was a very difficult defense to defend, especially if you didn't understand it uh, or respect it as a coach. And yeah, there's there's always motion and misdirection and blocking angles at the line of scrimmage. And and uh, you know Pinkerton's been doing that for 30 years plus. Right. That same scheme. So you know there's no adjustment or uh, you know defensive trick or anything that coach O'Reilly and his staff haven't seen at this point. So what a tremendous advantage for them. But yeah, it's nice when you, when you have a group of guys back there, like Pinkerton seems to have this year that can, every one of them can get the job done. You know, there's, there's really no way to take it all away. And I think that's the beauty of, of an offense like that. You know, and as that game kind of wore on too in the second half, I mean, you, Wyndham made a couple turnovers that, that led to touchdowns. You know, it was, uh, you know, after, after uh, a cold, uh, Friday night of football. Like I, I actually believe it or not, I actually broke out the pants for covering football Friday night. First time I've worn, haven't worn shorts outside since like May. Yeah. Uh, so it, yeah, it was cold Friday night, and then you turn around Saturday and it's high seventies, almost eighty, probably closer to eighty on that turf. Uh, Wyndham playing its first game of the year after they they um, didn't play the first two weeks. Um, you know, so I'm sure they got a little gassed at the end of that game. I know I was, I felt a little gassed just standing there watching it, you know, yeah. <laughs> having all that, you know, having the, the, just the heat from the, the turf over there at Pinkerton. Uh, and we're not in as good a shape as, as the well, players are yeah, these I'm, days, unfortunately, yeah, but <laughs> I'm a little, I'm in a little less of a shape. I'm more of a shape. Uh, than, than shape. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you, you make a good point too. You know, I, I was going to say it if you didn't, which was to point out that, you know, yeah, it was, it was a very good win for, um, for Pinkerton, obviously, uh, you know, a pretty complete win, especially with that second half performance and, and the defensive performance. But you, you also have to take into account this is Wyndham's first real contact with an opponent. Um, so, you know, Wyndham's far behind the curve from where Pinkerton was, right? Pinkerton had been in some battles at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, coming they, into they, week three, Wyndham hadn't seen any action whatsoever. So, from a conditioning standpoint and a speed of play standpoint and just a a team experience standpoint, you know, Wyndham's Wyndham's going to get better because they're well coached and they always have great athletes. But, you know, coming in, forget about the rosters. They would have been an underdog in my book just for that very reason that right. you just haven't had any game experience yet. Yeah, yeah they're going to be, you know, they may be one of those teams like that you were talking about that, that, you know, maybe struggles. I mean, they play, you know, obviously they just play Pinkerton. They've got Londonderry coming up this weekend and then, the following week, they'd be playing Salem. That's what's on the schedule right now. Um, you know, those are three pretty tough games. Um, you know, three teams that we expected to be, you know, in playoff contention. Um, 
along with Wyndham, of course, you know, if, if this had been a normal year. So it's, um, you know, it's possible they go in having not won a game and maybe, you know, put some things together. Um, would certainly be, you know, certainly a team to keep an eye on, even if they aren't, you know, if they are at the bottom part of the standings there. Yep, agreed. Yeah. Um, speaking of, you know, you mentioned spread teams. Uh, I also saw a pair of those uh, Saturday night in uh, Nashua North and Bishop Girton. Uh, they played uh, Saturday night at Stellos, uh, which I was, I don't know if anyone, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw the tweet. Um, was very festive over there. There were a couple of bats flying around the, the the uh, north sideline, the in, pretty much the entire night. I don't know what they were doing. They were just flying in circles over everybody. It was really uh, kind of put me in the Halloween kind of mood there. Yeah, I was gonna say that's kind of creepy in a uh, in a in a festive and yeah. an October appropriate sort of way. Yeah, yeah. And we also had uh, the, for the first time I've ever seen uh, a balloon delay uh, because BG had set up this giant balloon arch. Um, that they were using during their senior night, um, you know, uh, pregame stuff. And uh, when it all ended, they just kind of left the arch sitting right next to the sideline. Like, it, it didn't – it was – it couldn't have been more than, like, three feet from the field. Like, it was yeah. practically on the field. And uh, it was pretty windy uh, Saturday night. So, it, of course, at one point this thing blew over and a whole bunch of balloons went flying across the field. Uh I, the, the the delay was like thirty seconds, but still the longest. But balloon. it was it was the first recorded instance of a balloon first delay that you're aware of. I'm aware of. I've never before heard of a balloon delay at any kind of game. Yeah, I I, I, I would. I'm sure that Roger Brown could fact check you on that one because he Probably. he seems like the type of guy that would know that yeah, kind of thing. Absolutely. But yeah, really, well, you know, I'm sure they were very proud of the effort that they put into their their I'm balloon arts. It was very tall. I mean, it wasn't, it, it was significant. Like, you know, it wasn't a, they put, whoever put it together did a nice, very nice job with it. Yeah. And they wanted to leave it there on display rather than, you know, kind of wheel it off. And, and, you know, unfortunately it just didn't work out with the wind and so forth. See, this is the stuff that people really tune in for this kind of. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. That's why we're carrying on like this because we're like, nobody, you know, they, they want to hear the foolishness, not like our thoughts on the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on the game though, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I've seen North twice this year and, um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways they, they're just like every other team, you know, there, there's some rust that's still coming off. They're not at, you know, at full speed. Um, but the interest, the thing about, uh, that game Saturday night, and, and you probably could find some of this, um, looking at the, in the, the you know, um, looking at the details in, in that their opening win over South, um, North scored five touchdowns. They won thirty-four to six. Four of those five um, drives, they didn't have a penalty on. Every other drive, they had at least one penalty, and it completely made that drive an unravel. Um, so it, they're another team. You know, it, just like everybody else, they may be the team that's sitting at the top of the power pole, but they're they're going through these. Um, kind of bumps and, and, and hiccups too, uh, you know, and, and when they cut out the mistakes, man, look out. They are, uh, and it's not just um, Curtis Harris-Lopez that's that's doing the damage. Of course, he, he had almost 200 yards rushing in that game, um, but there's a bunch of other guys around him that are giving um, or keeping North pretty well balanced in their rushing attack. You've got um, Anthony Green, Isaac Smith, uh, Brian Mwangi, uh I'm feeling like I'm forgetting, so Jaden Espinall. 
Uh, they all had pretty big games for, for North uh, last Saturday. And, um, and it's another team, you know, like we were just talking about with Pinkerton. You got four or five different guys that can carry the football, and, and you, you know, you're not entirely sure. I mean, obviously, in the spread, it looks a little different as a defense, but you're not always sure where they're coming from. And even if you yeah. are sure, you know, you think, you, you know, they tr- maybe they drop back to Harris Lopez drops back to pass, and you think you got him, and then the next thing you know, he, you know, he gets through a little tiny hole, and he's gone for 30, 40 yards. Yeah, it, it, and I think that's why, though, that everybody still thinks so highly of them is that it, it's not like the old days anymore uh, with high school football where you can rely on just one superstar offensive player to get things done, right? Defenses are better than that now. They're better coached. I think schematically, I think coaches understand a lot more about defense than they might have 15 or 20 years ago. Um in terms of taking away things that the offenses like to do and, you know, not just lining up and we blitz and we have a coverage and that's how we play defense. Right. I think defenses are much more advanced. So I think that's why Nashua North still sits so highly thought of, right? Like you said, they can, they can come out and maybe they don't look like they're these huge big play game breakers uh, and they make mistakes. They're not, you know, flawless or infallible, but it's because they have, so many weapons that are capable of doing things besides Curtis Harris Lopez, right? You hear so much about Curtis that you, you, you could get lulled into thinking that that's, they're just, it's just the the Curtis Harris Lopez show, but it's, it's not. And I think that's what makes them so dangerous. The other thing too is they really are a complete team and they play great defense. Their their defense is uh, top notch, and they just have so much size. I they've got to be one of the bigger teams that I think I've seen so far this year, um, up front. And um, you know they they've got a lot of guys that just they like to get after the ball and they're aggressive. And and you know with the penalties you kind of see you know sometimes they're a little bit too aggressive. But um, you know hopefully that's something they can kind of rein in over these last couple of weeks here. Yeah. Uh, and then they have. Um, you know, they have a, an interesting matchup next week. Of course, this week they go to play Alvern. Um, Alvern struggling a little bit, and it's returned to D1. Um, they lost uh, 47 nothing to South uh, last week. Uh, and they're, you know, at 0-3. North plays them. But then the following week, North returns to Stellos. Actually, they're, they've played, they'll have played um, four games, North will, uh, presumably by the end of this. And three of those games will be at Stellos, and only one of them will be a home game. Which huh. is the the last game of the season, or the the week five game here against uh, against Londonderry, which, um, you know, was was a a game that the, that maybe we thought was going to be the championship game last year, um, you know, maybe it, we're getting it a year later, and I I'm that one I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing, uh, but of course we got a, a week to wait before that, um, yeah, but that could be an interesting one, two teams too that are are maybe. Um, I don't know if there's a, a considered a number one overall seed this year or who would be, you know, hosting what at the end of the year, but that could be for that, that spot if there is one. Not to take anything away from, from Goffstown, but, you know. We'll yeah, see. no, I agree. Uh, any other um, any other things stand out to you, uh, to you about um, Division One from this past week? Uh, obviously a couple big Seacoast games there. Um, yeah. Nice ones. Yeah, I was going to say that Dover taking down Winnicunit was um, was a surprise. Uh, 
I'm not going to lie. I, I, you know, after the way when a started out, I, I thought that they were poised and I think they still are pretty good, but it sounded like Dover got out, got, you know, had two, uh, non-offensive touchdowns kind of to open the game, right? I think they had a special teams touchdown and a fumble recovery and, uh, and just played really good defense, uh, and generated some turnovers against Winnicott. So, uh, hats off to Dover, right? They, they started out the, the year with sort of an, a forced buy and, uh, and they've come out strong, uh, beating two quality opponents, two local rivals right in a row. You got Manchester Memorial, Starting out three and zero, right? Yeah, yeah. They had a win over West uh, this past week. Yeah, three and zero. So that's another one worth mentioning. I think I, I'm not sure when the last time that Manchester Memorial came out three and zero to open a season, but um, it, it has to have been some time ago. And so, hats off to Coach Sturgis and that whole program. I mean, that's got to feel great for them. So I, I wanted to make sure we mentioned that one yeah. too. And um, that sets up an interesting matchup uh memorial and winnicunit this friday uh at winnicunit um that's uh one i'm i'm really interested in you know maybe not one at the beginning of the year that we had circled but definitely one you got circled now and then um the other seacoast teams all kind of going after each other this week you got dover playing at portsmouth oyster river and then spalding playing at exeter uh spalding beat portsmouth on a uh, an extra point um i believe 14 13 and then uh, Exeter getting its first win of the year, um, you know, winning big over Manchester Central last week. Uh, you know, so both of those games are, are you know, huge in terms of, uh, you know, who's going to end up where in the standings in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I know and the uh, there's one game I imagine that you've been you've been itching to talk about. Um is that uh, probably marquee matchup in D2 uh, of Milford and Sauhegan from last week. Um, you know, a game that's been uh, definitely highly contested the last decade or so after Sauhegan dominated for, for so many years early on. Uh, Sauhegan looked um, pretty dominant once again, uh, beating Milford 42 to nothing. Um, you know, kind of a, a no-doubter there. And, and you know, at this point... Um, I, I got a, I've got Sauhegan kind of probably at the top of Division Two in my mind. Um, you know, I know Plymouth is very good. Bo is very good. Uh, Timberlands looking good to having, you know, after moving down. Uh, but I think, it, I think you know, Sauhegan just seems like an, an, a team like we were talking about with, with North. You know, they're, every spot you look on the field, they are uh, in pretty good shape. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, that's another, uh, the, the, the result didn't surprise me, meaning the, 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 the W going to Sauhegan, um, but the score surprised me, and maybe it shouldn't have, um, but, you know, because, uh, you, you know, you always look at common opponents, I guess, to try to get a feel for things, and we even mentioned last week, we said, well, you know, you, you know a lot more after week three, because week two, especially with the situation that we've been in this season, teams are still kind of cold cranking and shaking off the rust and you, know, you can't quite tell, but I, I really thought given that, um, Sauhegan and Milford both had, uh, the defending champs Hollis as a common opponent and they were both, they were both pretty tightly contested games. I mean, I think Sauhegan's um, game against Hollis was a little bit more, um, you know, was a little bit less in doubt than, than Milford's game was certainly. 
Um, but, you know, you figured, hey, that's going to be a pretty good battle, right? And and I still would have given the nod to Sauhegan, but I would have thought that would have been a pretty tight battle. Again, especially to your point, if you look at the history of the last 10 years, um, how that game has generally gone, it's it's always been a good battle. But, um, man, Sauhegan just, like you said, pulled a no-doubter. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, you know, I think they've only given up a touchdown this season, and it was to Division One Bishop Girton, correct? And I believe it came after a, like a turnover deep in their end. It gave you know that BG ended up with with a short field uh, to score off of. Yeah, that's the only points they've given up this year. Yeah, so I lo- I love that you know Sauhegan has always been one of these teams that you talk about. Uh, you know, lightning offense with, right? They they can score no matter who the co- the coaches have been, right? right? Whether it was Coach Belleville or, you know, now under Robin Boquette, they've they've always had these really prolific offenses. But I love being able to talk about Sauhegan and, and just highlight how great their defense has been so far. And um, because that, that's not usually what you're giving Sauhegan credit for. Um, so it, it's really nice to give the, that side of the ball credit, those coaches credit over there and talk about, um, the work that they've done so far. Because, you know, when was the last time anybody just shut Milford down like that? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, Milford's been pretty explosive offensively. They're very difficult to shut out because they run the ball well. They typically play good defense. You know, they can, they get, they're very opportunistic if you make a mistake, especially in your own end. Um, that's, a, that's a big, big win, a big um, statement win for Sauhegan. You know, and, uh, another team that um, had a big win, um, although certainly not as uh, one-sided, uh, Pembroke comes out with a 16-7 win over Merrimack Valley. And uh, I've got to be for the first time in their program's history. They are uh, 3-0 and after three weeks. Uh, and I know that's a bit of a rivalry game for both those schools. So that's um, that's a, a kind of a... Um, I guess eye-opening or, or or just a, a result to kind of keep an eye on. Um, you had Hollis Brookline getting their first win, beating Sanborn forty to seven. Timberlane uh, christened St. Thomas's new field with a thirty-seven to seven win. And what's kind of interesting is uh, Timberlane's going to have back-to-back weeks here, uh, breaking in someone's new turf field. They played St. Thomas out in Dover on the turf this last Friday, and then uh, I believe this Friday. Um, they're coming to Hollis to play Hollis Brookline in the first football game on uh, the new HB turf. Huh. Kind of a, a weird, uh, weird outcome or a weird um, setup there. Um, but yeah, I mean that should be an interesting matchup. I really have no idea what to expect from that one. No, and that's another one of these first time ever matchups. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that we've been talking about. Um, yeah, you know, it seemed like Division Two was a little bit more lopsided than than Division One was on the whole. Um, you know, you, 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 we we talked about Sauhegan. Um, the Pembroke Merrimack Valley game was probably the tightest one, and you're right. I think they I forget what the name of that game is, but they it, it's a it's sort of a, a rivalry game. They have a, a you know like a like a bowl title to it and i think they it's, name uh, game mvps yep. and they you know they make it kind of a special environment but it's the uh the clo o'brien bowl thank you thank you I, I i i saw that um somewhere over the weekend when i was reading the article and i couldn't remember it now I, but i uh, just i just looked it up i did not know that off the top of my head <laughs> <laughs> i was like hey that's pretty good um 
But yeah, it sounded like a pretty gritty win for Pembroke. Well, you know, again, you mentioned it, right? Pembroke is one of these teams in this in this uh, this sort of you know interesting little season that we're having here. That you know, Spalding's opened up uh, undefeated. Dover's opened up undefeated. You know, Exeter's opened up. They just got their first win. You know, there's all kinds of these uh, Memorial three and zero, like we said. Right. Pembroke three and zero, right? We've got these teams that wouldn't otherwise have been. Uh, at least based on their program history, been enjoying this type of success or down maybe like some of these teams are. And it, it, it's just it's just another example of sort of what a topsy-turvy season it's been. But, uh, but yeah, and then you had, you know, I think the other big one was um, Kennett knocking off Guilford Belmont because Guilford Belmont had, was one of those teams that had started out 2-0. and Two and zero, but they were um, dealt a big blow with the loss of uh, quarterback uh, Alex Cheek for the season. Uh, I guess he got hurt in that game last week against Kingswood, so that's um, that's a, a, an unfortunate kind of uh, situation for them because I know I mean, he's a senior and he's been a starter for them for quite a while and been a very good one. So yeah, very disappointing, and hopefully they can still uh, you know be a, a competitive team going forward. Yeah, well, what you hope is now is that. Um... You know the 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 quarterback who's come in has a chance now to take some snaps. Uh, you know, got that first game under your belt. Um, the coaches have a chance to sort of scope the offense around uh, the new player a little bit. So you know, hopefully that allows them to get back on track a little bit, and it doesn't hamper them for the rest of the season. And I would guess that would be the case, right? Even though quarterback's an important position. You know, it still takes 11 guys, and they they had such a good start. You know, hopefully this was a sort of a growing pain hiccup for them, and, and they can get right back on track. Uh, you know, you're talking about Sauhegan's defense not giving up uh, a lot of points this year. Uh, there's another team in New Hampshire that actually hasn't been scored upon at all this year. Uh, that is uh, Pelham, which um, yeah. won yes. probably the uh, the early marquee matchup in Division Three. Uh, they handed Trinity a 25 nothing loss, which, um, you know, again, I think that's another one, like you said about, about Sauhegan and Milford. I'm not surprised by a Pelham win. Uh, I am maybe more surprised by the way that Pelham won. So what do you mean by that? Well, just to show, I mean, Trinity had been a team, you know, they knocked off, you know, Division One Concord the first week, Division Two Manchester West uh, in week two. They'd been playing really well. They're you know defending champs, returning a bunch of guys from from that that team last year, um, you know. And and, and I mean Pelham's a, a been a very good team in Division Two the last couple of years. Playoffs last year, they've been on a roll. Uh, I just didn't see them shutting out Trinity. That just that kind of was an eye opener. No, no, yeah, and and I agree. I, I wasn't sure whether you meant like. Um... You know they had done they had done something just oh. <laughs> statistically that you didn't expect or what have you. So I, I I was interested to hear what you had to say. But uh, no, I agree. I, I definitely did not expect. Um, you know I expected it to be a good game. I might have even given the edge to Trinity if somebody had asked me who do you think is going to win that yeah. game. I did not think that they were just going to dominate Trinity. And and that's I mean that's really what happened. I think right. I mean Pelham rushed for for. 225 yards, you know, Trinity rushed for just, they just barely scraped over 50 yards. They held Alessandro to 25 yards passing and 37 yards rushing. 
and, and that's a guy that was like uh, a marquee player through weeks one and two. Yeah. Um, um, and the way Pelham got it done was kind of like what we were talking about with uh, with Pinkerton, right? Except right. except maybe even more so, right? They didn't have 150 yards from a speedy sophomore tailback. They ground out 71 uh, um, from Kevin um, Bodenrader, I think if I'm saying that right. Uh, you know, 68 from Ethan Demons, 43 from Jake Herling. I mean, they, they they had a stable of backs that just sort of ground away at Trinity's defense. Um, pretty impressive win, especially, like you said, given the opponents that Trinity had already knocked off in this uh, early part of the season. You know, and, and both teams have uh, interesting home games coming up uh, this Friday. Um, Trinity has another out-of-division game, this time hosting uh, Bishop Girton uh, Friday night, which, um, I, you know, that's a, a kind of an intriguing matchup. And then Pelham, um, you know, hosts a very familiar foe. Um, they were, they're they going to play Milford, uh, which, you know, I know Pelham has been up and down over the years from Division 5 to Division 3 to 2 to, you know, all over. Uh, yep. and they've played Milford a bunch of times in all of those years, and I don't think they've ever beaten Milford. Um, last year they came very close. I think it went to overtime, came down to an extra point, um, and that's, I think, the closest they've been. Usually Milford's had their way with Pelham, had its way with Pelham, but this year, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see what that one looks like because, you know, like we said, Pelham has been playing lights out for three weeks here, uh, you know, and Milford coming off a really tough loss to a big rival. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm sure they're uh, they're anxious to get out there and play this game. Yeah, I would say so. And I, I think the other thing that's great about that matchup is that they're they're two well coached programs, right? So on on uh, Pelham's side, you know that they're going to do a really good job of guarding against, um, you, you know, sort of coming in a little full of themselves, having beaten Trinity and having that letdown against Milford. There's nothing that uh, that coaching staff and that team would like better than to come in and um, get the job done against their old division two rival. And then same thing with Milford, right? You know, that coach Jones and his staff are going to do a really good job of putting the Sauhegan game behind them and getting back to business, making sure that they take care of things against Pelham. So um, I think that's the other thing that's great about that matchup is it's two really well coached physical uh, you know, generally uh, disciplined type teams that are going to be playing against each other. Uh, the other D3 uh, score that kind of was uh, an eye-opener in a way, uh, Monadnock uh, goes up a couple divisions and beats Keene 20-6 to uh, in Keene's first game of the year. Uh, we know a couple years ago that when, uh, was it, I believe, the year that Monadnock won its championship in Division Three, or maybe it was the year before, they also yeah. beat Keene on uh, Thanksgiving. Um, but I mean, this is, uh, you know, a different team. Uh, a lot of the kids that had led that group, you know, graduated from Monadnock. So it's, that's, um, kind of an eye opening win for them. You know, and then you had, um, Campbell with a big win over Laconia, 42, 24, and then, uh, Interlakes Moultonboro with a 42, six win over Newfound. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Monadnock game, it was, was a, an interesting highlight. I mean, that was a meat grinder of a game. Both of those teams are, uh, you know, sort of full house wishbone type teams that, you know, 
not a whole lot of wide receivers even, right? Two tight ends, three running backs, and they grind it out. But very similar to week one for Monadnock, even though they had a lot of success on the ground, all their scoring was through the air. Uh, and it was and it was Nate Doyle to Zion Carroll, three touchdown passes. Um, so, you know, what that tells you is that they really understand how to use play action. Yeah. Um, and and uh, they've got that down really good. But, yeah, that's a big game. Um, and, and, again, like we said, kind of a matchup of uh, uh, Coach Patnode versus Coach Avery, who used to coach together on the Monadnock staff, um, now going against each other. I, that would have been one I would have liked to see, quite honestly. I'm sure that was a lot of fun. But, um yeah, the, the, the Campbell win, you know, Laconia struggled a little bit this year, and I'm sure they're probably young. They, they opened with a tough game against Monadnock, speaking of the Huskies. Um, but was this Campbell's first win? Yeah, they had dropped two, um, one against, uh, they also had dropped one to Monadnock, and then they, lo- they lost to um, Pelham last week, I believe. Pelham, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah, so you know, so Campbell... Uh, you know, again, we were talking about sort of the, the, the eerie, uh, speaking of Halloween and, and the bats and, <laughs> and, and all the other weird things that have happened this season. It's, it's another one of those oddities this year. Whoever would have thought Campbell would have come out and started 0-2. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, good for them to pick up their first victory against, uh, you know, again, a Laconia team that's, that's admittedly struggled, but they're, th- that's always a quality win. You always look at Craig Cousins and that team and say, you know what, they're, they're a team that could win on any given Sunday because they are well coached and they have good athletes, even in a down year. So that's a good quality win for yeah, them. I would yeah, say. Absolutely. Uh, had a pair of games in division four, uh, Raymond playing its first game of the year, beating up on Bishop Brady, 46, 28. And then, uh, kind of a, another eye opener, uh, for me, you know, we talked about surprises and I, you know, fall mountain coming off of, um, you know, runner up finish in division four last year, um, had a lot of kids back. Um, you know, I don't know if, you know, there's some injuries out there or something going on. They lost to Newport 46 to nine, um, last weekend. Um, you know, Newport looks like, you know, they, they played, um, division two Lebanon to a one point game, uh, earlier this year. Um, you know, so they're looking like a, a team to, you know, maybe be the front runner in that division four. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I, I was going to say the same thing that it's kind of, it, it's kind of, uh, you know, what, what's happened with fall mountain, but you know, the big story for Newport was Josh Sharon, um, who's a, who's a senior for them. And it was, it was Newport senior day. So, um, you know, big game for him to feel good about, but you know, a, a beautiful 60 yard touchdown catch and two rushing touchdowns. Um, you know, that's a nice day for the senior out there, but, uh, but yeah, you know, you got to wonder now. Is that um, does that put Fall Mountain at zero and three? No, uh, they so it puts them at one and two overall. But I think just one and one in the division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so they, you know, it's not like they've completely struggled coming out of the gate. Right. But yeah, it does. It does make you look at uh, Newport and say, you know, that they've got to be for real. And th- their matchup is who this coming week? Uh, that's a good question. I thought that I read somewhere that oh, they had. Okay, yeah, it's uh, um, actually a pretty interesting one here. Um, they've got Monadnock at home. That's uh, it. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say that. I, I knew that the the Monadnock. Uh, I mean, the the Newport matchup was a good one, and it, it was. Now that you've reminded me, it was Monadnock. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting. Okay, you know, who's for real here? Type of battle. 
Yeah, I we got a couple of those on Saturday amongst the the um, smaller divisions. There, you got that one. Um, you got Guilford Belmont playing at Winnesquam. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, Campbell is playing at Sanborn, which you know Sanborn has struggled uh, against other D two teams, but you know we'll see. And Campbell again, like we said, was off to a bit of a slower start until that win they got this week. Um, you know, and then you got Pembroke playing at Hillsborough during Hopkinton. Um, right. You know, so that one, I, you know, that that one, I think will tell us a lot about both teams. Um, yeah, and Hillsborough had a, a huge, yeah, uh, huge win. win, especially they kind of exploded in the second half. I think they really just couldn't slam the door shut in the first half on on um, you know John Stark, who I think is is really having kind of a, a rebuilding year this year. Um, but yeah, HDH sort of exploded in the second half, and they had another one of those games like we talked about with Pinkerton and uh, and uh, Pelham, where they got a lot of different ball carriers involved. Jack Morrell um, had a really good game on offense and defense, um, but you know HDH was able to get a lot of different ball carriers involved. Um, you know, I, I know that they were. Uh, a little banged up on the offensive line, but uh, it didn't show. They had a 350-yard rushing performance, and uh, you know that should be a really interesting matchup this week. Now, uh, any other final thoughts before we uh, we start to wrap up for the week? No, other than I mean, you know, we we predicted I think that, or, or we or we projected at least that week three would tell us a lot about where different teams stood. Now they had a chance to look at common opponents and had a little bit more data in the, in the data cruncher to say, Hey, who's for real and who isn't. I'm not so sure that we did get all of that. I mean, <laughs> I, and I think it's just because some of the matchups are, are so different and uh, you know, the format is, it makes things a little unpredictable here. Right. Um, so I, you know, again, I think it's made this a unique and interesting and, and really in a different way, entertaining kind of season. And I just look forward to, seeing what happens each week so much. Not not that I usually don't, but I think just because this has such a different flavor to it, it it's, and, and you've seen it in just what, the whole theme of the discussion we've had, that you have these teams that are, uh, that are typically powers that have had rougher starts and you've had other teams that are typically not, you know, they've really struggled. They've come out and opened up undefeated or they're yeah. two and one, you know, I mean, that's, I think that's just a testament to um, how unique this year is and, even though it's been difficult and painful in a lot of cases, um, you know, there's always opportunity in those kind of difficulties. And I think, I think some of these teams are realizing it. It's make it really entertaining. Yeah. I think, I think this weekend is going to be another uh, great one um, in terms of just, well, I mean, just the fact that we're, you know, we're still getting out there and we're playing football and uh, playing other sports. Um, you know, when I, and I've been, uh, you know, overall I've been pretty impressed with a lot of these schools with what their setups have been, um, in terms of mask wearing, social distancing, I mean, there's there's been a couple of situations here and there that are are a little, um, maybe not as encouraging, uh, <laughs> but but for the most part, for the most part, overall, I you know it it feels like you know I I for one I'm going two things and I'm I'm feeling comfortable, um, you know that that people are doing the right things. Yeah, and, and and you hope for that too because it, it's it's safety for the families and the community, but it's also necessary if if we're going to continue to be able to do what we're doing, which is 
you know, squeak in a sports season here. You know, it, it um, you don't want to jeopardize that for the players. You don't want to jeopardize it if you're if you've got students and that are coming back into the school on Monday, um, whether whether it's a hybrid thing or whether they're they're back in full time. So I think I'm glad to hear that. I know you've you've usually kept me posted about. Uh, you know, hey, this school's doing a really good job. Or eh, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> I see a lot of, lot of, uh, you know, maybe not so much on this yeah. side. But, but hopefully, everybody is able to stay healthy, and uh, we can keep chugging along here because it's, it's, it's sure as heck been entertaining so far. Random text where I'm standing over here in the corner, downwind from everybody, just trying to, or uh, upwind from everybody, trying to stay, stay as far away as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it should be. I mean, here we are. We've made it through. Uh, uh, what three weeks now? Going on four. Um, feels really good to be doing it, and I'm glad we are. And I hope hope everyone continues to be safe and and careful, and and just uh, you know look out for each other. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. And so far, the players and coaches and administrations have made this a really really fun season to to cover and to and to hear about. So let's let's keep our fingers crossed that they make it all the way through. Well, Mike, I want to thank you again for uh, for joining me, and, and I'm looking forward to uh, doing this again next week. You bet. He is Mike Lockman. I am Joe Marcellina. Thanks again for listening.